Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends. Post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast, everybody. I am so stoked today to have on YouTuber Andy Sizek. We're really excited. Hey. To ha- I'm so excited to have you. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, awesome to be here on the legendary Voice Hacks podcast. <laughs> well, you're quite legendary as well. And oh, in nice. fact, um, the first time I ever saw you on YouTube was like more of a vocal tutorial. It was the first video I can remember seeing you in was a fry screaming tutorial that you made yeah and i was actually curious to ask you if that was the first video you put up or if you put material up before you put that out oh yeah uh definitely not my first video i've i've been on youtube since i was like 17 or something and uh, i'm 29 now but uh i've just been like you know doing cringy videos and slowly getting a little bit more professional and uh I I think I don't know. That was probably like my twentieth or something. It was pretty early on in your career. I, yeah, I've deleted a lot of videos before then. So <laughs> yes, I can relate to that. I have deleted a lot yeah. of my older videos too. I because you know you learn as you're creating content and growing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I'd been doing it for a minute. It's it's an earlier video. I, actually, kind of funny to say that now. I just feel like I'm getting older and older. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it was pretty early on. Yeah, you said you started when you're 17 and you're 29 now. I was sitting here like, wow, it's really been that long. <laughs> yeah, I mean that well that how to scream video came out what maybe 5 or 6 years ago, but yeah. I started out as a as a bowl cut emo looking scene acoustic guitar never shout never want to be YouTuber. That's so cool. Is it? <laughs> you know, but it is because I know a lot of young people that I've coached and stuff who wouldn't dare do that. So I think that's really cool because a lot of kids in their awkward phase, like me personally, if YouTube had existed when I was when I was young, I wouldn't have wanted to. In my teens, I would not have wanted to to do it. Oh yeah, there's still some cringy videos out there for sure that you can easily find of old Andy. I was actually curious about this. So you're obviously an incredible pro vocalist in a few different bands, a couple different touring bands. Thanks. And uh, you do the clean and the harsh for everybody who's hasn't seen Andy. You need to check him out. But um, when you were young and in school, did you were you doing ever doing Have you ever had voice lessons or were you always just trying to do the rock and metal thing? How did that start for you? Pretty nerdy. Uh, in a super nerdy way. I was very, very shy and repressed, and I didn't express myself much at all. Most of school growing up, I loved video games. I loved my uh, my anime and my, my dorky friends. And uh, there was Guitar Hero, and then there was Rock Band, and Rock Band has, has the vocals. Uh, that was like, okay, here's my excuse to sing. It's a video game. You know, I was able to like... Because I was just so so shy and so embarrassed, but I, I knew that I could do it because my my father is a singer oh, cool. and my siblings, and uh, I just felt it inside, and I guess like every now and then when I was alone, I would sing. But rock band, video games, right? That was like an excuse for me at, at, at age you know 14 or 15 uh, to get into singing, and my friends would be like, hey, dude, you're actually pretty good. And I'd be like, well, <laughs> That's- really? And so, uh, yeah, from there I, I started to, uh, I did like my talent show, I think, and, and joined up with a couple high school bands. Um, before that, I didn't really do anything. I didn't do choir. I wish I had. Um, but yeah, I started getting super into pop punk and metal and all that stuff. I was on MySpace looking at mu- listening to music all the time, and then, yeah, I started touring when I was like 18, and I sucked. Uh, and I, I hurt myself, I hurt my voice, and that was when it was like, maybe I should uh, take this seriously and learn 
a thing or two. So I started with speech pathology to relearn how to breathe properly wow. because I was using all the wrong muscles. I was doing it like with my chest and putting all the tension on my throat. Um, I actually like gave myself small vocal nodules when I was like 16. Whoa. Maybe a little older, 17. But I got I got them from having no technique and just sucking. So my ear, nose, throat doctor was like, dude, you got to do something about this. He sent me to a speech patholo- pathologist. And from then I just went down this obsessive rabbit hole about proper vocal technique. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of trial and error and learning along the way. I've, I've uh, been able to get some lessons here and there from some super talented folks and uh yeah just learning a lot through doing it and through observation of um a lot of my other my favorite vocalists you know so when you were kind of diving down that rabbit hole of vocal technique and stuff I bet you I I mean uh, I'm assuming but usually what happens is a lot more sounds develop you know where did Mm -hmm. did things expand for you or take off in any particular direction as you improved yeah 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 Definitely, hugely. I mean, I was really into like 2010s metalcore, the Devil Wears Prada and stuff like that, Seosin and Under Oath, and a lot of really high singing dudes in these genres. And I wanted to get up there. I wanted to to be a part of that. But I really, I feel like I capped out my my chest voice at like a like an A sharp, which you know isn't that high compared to the way I'm singing now. So. Um, yeah, I started to discover my my head voice and then my mixed voice from there, able to stretch out my range and uh, learn to hit higher notes. And then there was the world of screaming as well I, I dove into. And uh, that was like just watching my favorite performers and trying to learn through little cracks in their voice yeah. on live videos. Like, oh, that's how they get there. And yeah, it just pr- it presented all these forks in the road, and I wanted to tackle all of them. I wanted to, and any any time I heard a sound that I didn't think I could do, I was like, I need to learn that. I, I need to get on that. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, just for years and years, especially with the YouTube covers, that was just me pushing myself uh, out of my comfort zone each time to acquire a new skill that I could take with me for for my own music someday. And uh, yeah, that just gradually grew. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was obsessive about it. You know, same for vocal upkeep and uh, remedies and and everything that's unhealthy for you and everything that's healthy for you, just all of it. I wanted to know as much as I could. Um, And I'm always still learning. So yeah, we're never done. There's so much more that I could look into and I kind of want to get into the opera side of things. Oh yeah, there's some fantastic classical coaches out there. I mean, yeah, yeah, I would I would like that cuz I've only done like sporadic lessons. I've never had a dedicated coach. It would just be like uh for instance when I joined Monuments, I uh bothered Melissa Cross for like ages until she returned my call and um she gave me a, a lesson to help me take the weight off of my voice when screaming sure. and uh, just maintain my voice throughout a tour, throughout a long tour, because I, I was like, I've never really screamed live on a professional level touring for a month. So, uh, yeah, little things like that. Absolutely. Um, but I would I would love to keep going and, and find a, uh, a coach that is completely not oriented with the, the current skills that I have now. Oh, yeah. And I think you could definitely find that um, because I feel like classical or musical or stuff that's a little bit outside of metal is easier to find people actually. <laughs> not Yeah, you know. you're so right. It's not even <laughs> I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like, too, like, at the same time, you have some, like, traditional-oriented people that kind of come into the rock and metal scene, like Ken Tamplin, you know? He's coaching mostly, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Mostly, like, belters and things, but he has a pretty, like, traditional, formal kind of background. So that's where I came from, too, because, like, basically, they won't give you a music degree, (laughs) except for, like, a couple of universities, which were way far Mm -hmm. from where I lived, you know? So you, Mm -hmm. you have to study classical because they just, like, won't... There's no, there's no other way. They're not going to let me, they, they wouldn't let me metal scream to get. <laughs> of course. Maybe in like 30 years, that'll be 
all over the place. Yeah, well, it's actually kind of becoming a problem at uh, the university. As I've spoken to a couple different university professors and people don't, they get turned off of music degrees, at least as far as singing go, because a lot of people don't want to classically sing. So, um, yeah, a lot has changed. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, but so, okay, so you're in Termina, Macari, and Monuments. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also a, a little band called Wander um, from my hometown of Frederick. That that was like my first thing, really. Not my first, first thing, but like uh, Mac- Wander led to Macari, led to Monuments, etc. That's awesome. And you tour, like I interviewed Nick. Um, so obviously he said Termina is not really a, a touring thing because he doesn't really want to tour. Um, mm-hmm. But you tour with Macari and Monuments, both of both of mm-hmm. those bands, right? Yeah, that's awesome. What's the longest tour you've done so far? Uh, I guess if you count India, uh, twenty 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 nineteen twenty twenty, I did India straight into a European tour with Monuments, and that lasted around two months. Uh, so that was, you know, going from. My longest tour being three weeks, so it was it was a big jump. But I think that's the longest I've continuously been out. Is that about eight eight weeks around? Yeah, yeah. There was some off time, but mostly it was just go go go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just really happy that uh, my voice survived and I made it through the whole tour. Well, certainly the time that you have invested in learning about your technique and preparing, I mean, is a direct reason as to why it lasted so long you know it, i always tell people it's hey. not magic there's always like yeah some real conscious effort behind it do you have a routine mm-hmm. that you do on the road you know before you go on stage or yeah um it it really depends on how i'm feeling and that will determine how hard i hit it uh but usually in the morning if i can get a shower in, i'll start with some humming and some vowel sounds uh another melissa cross is end of screaming thing mm-hmm. uh that i learned going like like stuff mm-hmm. like that just very light uh vowel shapes and hums in the in the morning and then uh you know stay as hydrated as possible throughout the day obviously you i try to get as much sleep as i can but i suck at sleeping so that that's a hindrance but it's so hard on the road yeah yeah i, I try to find myself like some ginger and some turmeric and uh make a tea or two if, if i'm feeling uh gunky in there a bit of light exercise i like to do 100 or 200 jumping jacks just before warming up and then i'll 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 do a warm-up an hour or so before our set and that's more more melissa cross stuff plus some extra things that i learned from various uh various sources that's cool i think that it's really interesting learning a little bit about people's routine and upkeep because i think uh i think outside of the vocal world a lot of people are just kind of living this like you know, myth that people just naturally come out there. It's not really an instrument to be played, but it, but it really is, you know? Um, yeah. So you mentioned earlier before you started taking, uh, more of an interest in the deeper techniques that you were capping your belt range around a sharp, which is think is like a sharp four, if we're going to call middle. Yes, that's correct. And then, so now do you feel like, cause I feel like you do have a really high voice, but the thing is, is, um, People don't realize you can have a high voice, but it's so far away from your speaking voice. It's still really the yeah. relative difficulty is the same. I mean, it's not any easier for you to train that second half of that middle C octave for your belt range than it is for someone with a lower voice to train their last four belt notes, I don't think, you know. I also love to sort of guess people's vocal range yeah. and stuff. I've always felt like I was a I was a tenor with, you know, maybe a little bit of counter tenor yes. notes or just something there. But I'm not like a true t- counter tenor where, hey, my name's Andy and I just naturally talk up here. So it, it's definitely uh, harder for me to stay up there all the time. Um, and and so my power notes, the, the, the big moments are when, all right, I'm going to reach for that like D or D sharp or whatever. And then there's also different techniques I've learned to, to, to sort of cheat the high notes, like doing... Uh, vocal fry and distorting like a head voice pitch to sort of like a soil work type thing or, or an architect's type thing. Um, and that's a good way to ex- ex- extend the range as well. But yeah, like I'm not a natural counter tenor or, or a Lajario tenor or whatever you yes. want to call it. I've just learned to to stretch out to those notes and I try not to overdo it in the studio 
where I'm just like bam, 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 like hitting the top all the time because you know you know what happens when you do that, and then you try to you try to perform it live. It's it's tough. Like when I listen to you. Yeah, I put you in the same kind of category as like um, an Ed Sheeran, Bruno Mars, like. Thanks, that's very flattering. Or like as far as their vocal range, you know, like like Louis Capaldi. These guys are in people places sure. that I call a high tenor, but right, not a counter tenor. Yeah, perfect. I love that. Yeah, and this is a voice range that is really lucky because <laughs> a lot of is still, even though it's not exactly like you said, like our Getty Lee, Robert Plant, like Michael Jackson counter tenor. Right. Um, it is definitely it's definitely it's it's certainly a higher voice than average. You know, it gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm not stuck up there all the time, mm-hmm. but I can I can reach up there and then I can still go as low as I pretty much ever want to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm lucky that that I'm that my natural range is where it is, I think. Yeah, because if you look at a countertenor like The Weeknd, I mean, C3 is it, you know? They can't really sing any lower than that. Yeah, yeah, stuck up there a bit. And I, I think training your lower register is a bit different than stretching to higher notes. And I know that there's other ways to sort of, you can do like the subharmonic thing to try to like cheat the low notes. Absolutely, yes. Too. But but I, I don't know, I don't really... Uh, I'm not good at that, so. But you, you probably did wouldn't need to in most of the repertoire you're doing. I mean, it's right. not. It's like a party trick, if anything. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it doesn't have a lot of practical application, you know. Right, right. Like if I started trying to whistle as well, uh, that would be, you know, wouldn't really get me anywhere. Yeah. But I, I always tell people most music that people actually like listening to is in the C3 and C4 octave, like somewhere. Mm-hmm. It might be in a slightly different place. Like a baritone will tend to write on the bottom of those two octaves, like the verse and the mm-hmm. bottom of the C3 octave and the chorus and the bottom of the C4 octave, maybe where like F or G is like the highest note. Um, yeah. And a tenor might write in towards like the top of those two octaves. But most of what we actually do vocally isn't like that wide you know sometimes it is to show off but yeah exactly I think that's what's cool is is you can stay in that popular zone but every now and then wow them with a with a super high note or something like that and it's it's like oh shit okay it's a break from the norm kind of makes the hairs on your neck stand up you're like oh that's that's sick like Bruno Mars will do that he'll just at the end of the song belt out like something super high and I'm like Oh, that's so satisfying. And you also get a level of power to the high notes of a of a tenor or a baritone that you wouldn't get with a countertenor because that it's a lot more comfortable. Like I hate to say that, but the notes that we really have to push for are the ones that sound the most passionate and and full and powerful and it's 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 your full power. Yeah. Um so it sounds really awesome. You can hit the same you as you know, you can hit the same note as a tenor or as a counter tenor and one of them's gonna sound more powerful and one of them's a little more relaxed i agree with that and that's why i look at uh kind of put you guys in this like high tenor category because you have a strong belt voice but it's a high range you know and Mm -hmm. and you mentioned something really earlier that is what i call the chris cornell trick when you talked about putting distortion on on the falsetto i'm sorry i'm sorry i love chris cornell i I learned so much from him, from watching him. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at like his actual vocal range, like the nerds who've like charted it out, it's actually a very ordinary baritone range. It's not, it's not, it's about three and a half octaves, which is the, I mean, from lowest note to highest falsetto. Um, Obviously, most people's belt range is like two to two and a half octaves. Um, Sometimes three if they have like what I call a wide range baritone. But Chris Cornell actually wasn't that. He had a regular baritone range. But he had that trick nailed. He could flip to the other type of voice, a mixed voice or a falsetto voice, and keep the grit. And when you do that, especially for some reason, male vocalists, when they do that, you can really, really conceal the fact that you flipped or transitioned, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? So much so that 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 uh, aspiring vocalists like myself when I was younger is just like, how? That's impossible. Like, I don't get it. Like, how do you sing that high as a... Yeah. And... Slowly you start to learn, wow, so much goes into this. There's all these tiny little variables that make up the the sound that they're doing, seamlessly blending it with their chest. 
undetectably so. Yeah. And you're like, shit, okay, this is very involved and I need to get my shit together. So Some of his um, songs I make, like my tenors, I actually tell them they'll try to belt everything, you know? And he's already gone past the break. He's actually like flipped. And yes. and so I will tell them because the note where a baritone needs to flip is lower, obviously. So I'll, mm-hmm. a lot of my people that I have coaching that are like in your range, I'm like, you actually need to possibly raise the key where that flip matches your flip or, or lower the key. So that's all belting. But like sometimes it doesn't match like high tenor where it flips because like he's already flipped where you could theoretically still belt. But it's so strenuous to belt in that place, you know. I know, and then it's like, how how low should I leave it on flip mode, and and you know go back to, and then then you we we start to have this problem where we're struggling in the middle because like these songs that are up here, all right, I'm chilling in like my my distorted head voice sort of mix, and then you know you try to go down, and you're like, oh, is, should, is this a belting part? Yes, or is I it know. Like a, I'm just like, oh fuck, like and on certain days, especially on tour, it's hard for me to decide how to approach something in the middle of my range because I you know, depending on how swollen the folds are or whatever, it might be harder to to get that out in chest. And it's yeah, every day is a is a new adventure for, for stuff like that. Like on the fly decisions. Oh yeah. Like, oh All this the time. is not gonna belt today. <laughs> yeah. You really have to get to know how it feels inside relative to what's gonna come out. Um like I don't know, I can just I can just wake up and sort of be like I don't even have to talk. I'm like, okay, my this is where I'm at with my voice. Like I can feel it, and obviously that can change, you know, throughout the day and warm up and um, dust off the cobwebs. But you need to, or you want to be able to no- get to know your voice well enough that you won't go for something and be embarrassed, <laughs> you know, if you fuck up. Well, I interviewed this um, Cirque du Soleil singer, because I live here in Las Vegas. She was saying, you know, it's just better to, like, mix it and get the note, you know, than to belt it and sort of biff it. And I kind of agree. Yeah, I mean, in the studio, we belt more. But let, let's be frugal with it live. Like, uh, I, I, I think it was Brett Manning, you know that dude? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was his vocal lessons he said that on the fly you need to decide how vocally spendy you want to be with you ah. have like an allotment right of of because it's all stress management which is something that ken tamplin said i think and yes. you want to make sure that you're not uh being overly spendy during certain parts so that way you can conserve uh your energy for the rest of the day or the rest of the show so you know for years i think before youtube like a lot of this stuff wasn't very transparent and i think people actually had a really frustrating time learning vocals and I almost hate to see that that's been one of my goals is to like make things a lot clearer and more transparent because um it, like no other instrument is like that why do we do that <laughs> it's so hard to uh describe it's it's intangible and obscure and definitely I, I do remember there not being a lot of resources when I was young at least not available or easy to find and that's definitely discouraging and when you hear something that's so far beyond what you can currently do, you're just like, oh, I'll never, I'll never get this. Because you don't know how to practice. You don't know where to look. Uh, so to be pointed in the right direction and to have more focused insight nowadays, it, I think it'll speed up that process for a lot of people and, and prevent them from so much anguish that we might have experienced. You know, me me as a as a young teen blowing my voice out because I just didn't know anything. Yeah. And also myself, I have an extremely low voice. I have, I have a lower voice than you, I would think, because I think of myself more like a regular tenor, not a high tenor. Um, But it's in females, they call it a contralto. But, you know, I actually did not know that for years until I went to college and got formal training. And they were like, whoa, (laughs) you're here's where you should be. Here's where you've been frustrating yourself. And it completely changed everything, knowing what keys you're supposed to put things in and stuff. And if you're not aware of that, it's really limiting, frustrating. But you mentioned something I want to go back to earlier about um, the concept of like being super spendy. Even like Ed Sheeran, another high tenor, he's capoing himself down, usually a whole step every single time. A whole step, And a lot of people... 
Yeah, and the only reason I know this stuff is from teaching. I don't have perfect pitch, but I usually have to like teach the stuff and play it on the piano and like look at the live. So all these guys, Louis Capaldi, Chris Daughtry, like most people are tuning down a little bit between a half and a whole step. Of course. Yeah, Macari tunes down most of our stuff a half step live and Monuments, depending on how many guitars we want to bring, we do the same. I also made the band that I sing with now tune down a half step from where they were with the previous singers for me, you know? And I hear, you know, I hear a lot of people be like, it's kind of frustrating. They're like, well, if you can't do it every time live, then why record it? And what I need to explain is, first of all, music is not exclusively a performance art. So uh, being in the studio and getting the absolute most out of your voice that you can, there's a, there's a real beauty to that. And obviously, we write music tailored to the modern recording techniques that we have so we're doing if we really want to go all out we're doing like full takes on a full breath of of our full power and then he's going all right stop do it again you know and and it's a line when you try to do your full power full breath full everything back to back to back to back in a song that's when you you run into problems so I don't think that you should not record your most powerful uh, stuff just because you're afraid oh, I can't always do it live. Now, there's a line that you can draw, of course, um, but pulling it off live is is an art in and of itself. And knowing when to, to be a little more uh, conservative with your voice. And yeah, I still think you should go all out in the studio and get yeah. the most out of your voice because that's that's the beauty of it. That's you're capturing your essence and um it's it's kind of frozen in time as well it's like a permanent record yeah so you know you do want it to be that way and then live you have to do things like tune down a little bit like the biggest thing about tuning down a half or a whole step for live is that even me like i know from teaching people but it literally if you have don't have perfect pitch it's almost it's unless i listen to that song in the car on the way there i still might not be able to tell if you've tuned down a half step yeah and that's really effing close i think 99 percent of the people there who aren't music heads aren't going to be like whoa i don't recognize this like most people's (laughs) ears just snap to it and they don't care that being said once you start going way way down it's you start to lose. I, I think certain songs don't sound right in, you know, when you go down too far. Yeah, because I've been guilty of that, being a lower voice person. I And also being a person who's familiar with Dawes and music theory, like I will tune down to where it's so comfortable that people have actually been critical and been like, this doesn't even sound hard for you anymore. And you you said earlier something really important about that, like your high, the high points, the challenging points are where you feel your expression and everything like that. So if yeah. you go too far. Well, it's fucked up because we're in rock music and an element of rock music has always been aggression and passion and that visceral feeling you get when someone's giving it their all. And part of our job sometimes is to suffer a little bit. And people want to go to the show and see you go for those big notes. You know, they don't want to see you wimp out on everything because then it's like, you know, what's the point? So I try to, with the half-step thing, it gives me freedom to play around a little bit more. And even if I'm like, okay, ducking out for a couple words here, that allows me to regain my strength and, and push this high note coming up. So I think uh, there's a there's an art to it where you can get the best of both worlds. And um, people would probably rather see you skip a couple lines than never go for the big notes. So I, yeah. tr- I try not to... I think a half step down is good. I think any more, and I would be just too comfortable. And and what you know, I'd be missing a part of what people love about my voice in the first place, which is the yes. fact that I run up my range. And and there's some moments that are super high and and powerful. And um, I definitely I think of it from a listener standpoint a lot. When I would go to shows, I'd be a little disappointed when the songs would would be down tuned too much, or if the singer was just never going for those notes 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, um, and I have seen some performances like that. Because, like, a half step or whole step is something that I've seen, like, the most technically excellent, high-voiced pro singers do. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what you said earlier, kind of vocal expenditure, vocal economy. And when we're talking about a tour, we're talking about every night with, like, hardly any sleep or sleep where the bus is going, like, all night long where it's not really sleep. Yeah. You know, for eight weeks or whatever. So and many other variables that that are negative on your voice. <laughs> and you know, you're, you're touring. It's fucking hard. It just gives you like a hair of vocal economy to make up for that other stuff, you know. Yeah. And you're right. You're keeping it in a way that it's pretty close to the original key, and you're gonna get some of that passion, and it won't sound too comfortable or boring. If it's too comfortable, it sounds boring. Yeah, and that that's all it is. You you still want to uh, include some powerful moments, even if. You're making a compromise to chill out on other things. I think an audience member is going to really appreciate those big moments versus you just kind of laying back the whole time so you can hit every note and get every line. You know, it's it's a bit better to, at least in my opinion, um, to regain yourself and your composure and, and skip a few words and then go for that big note. Because, you know, when we're tracking, we can... We can Bam! Hit that hit that high C or, or or C sharp or whatever. But when that high C or C sharp is at the end of of a long verse or something, you're going and yeah. going and going. The folds are actively swelling, and then you get to that point, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm gonna squeak out. So often I'll be, la la la, hey, couple words, and then do it. And and people don't give a shit because you're nailing that note. It's all good, um, as opposed to la 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 la. All right, here's the big note. Fuck it, you, you know, like. No one likes that. Yeah. You, you're making conscious decisions about where to put your energy and what to use it for. Yeah. And that is a skill, you know, that I'm always telling people it's not actually that these uh, professional singers are at literally nailing every part every night. I mean, some people do in their like best performance ever, mm-hmm. you know, maybe yeah. like there's one or two videos yeah, where course. they do. We all have that. Of course, you know, you have the Whitney Houston one moment in time moment, you know, <laughs> but there's like not very many of those moments in the reality. Even, even that person is going to have like 80% days where they have to make decisions like this. But most audience people, can't always tell the difference between mixing and belting. Don't mm-hmm. realize that you're doing the mic thing or whatever. It's like more about having that illusion that you're doing it perfectly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say is, is that um, from, from an outsider who doesn't really know much about music or vocals, they can, they can easily mistake someone who's extremely calculated and strategic and uh, knows what the fuck is up, has a lot of practice, that's easily mistakable for, oh, he's just going up there and doing it effortlessly. You know, people people don't realize, like, how meticulous some uh, some performers, obviously, there's, there's that one-in-a-million freak of nature that can just do that, and it's like, whoa. But then it's the, there's the technically skilled, proficient ones that have practiced so much that they're like, I take a breath here in this part of the song, and, and they just do it seamlessly, that muscle memory without thinking, and then that can even just look like effortless when in reality it is a very strategized uh, rehearsed performance. That's the thing I'm always telling people about Floor Jansen from Nightwish, you know, because she's gone super viral over the last few years, you know. But whenever I'm talking about it, you know, I'm always telling my students, this is like very conscious decision-making and a lot of practice about what tones she's going to use where and exactly where she's going to flip. And Mm -hmm. everyone's like, really? And I'm like, "Yeah, yes, really? So Yeah, because she's so good that it just seems like she's pulling it out of her ass, like like not even think about it. When in reality, it's so well rehearsed that... It's it's easy for her, easier because she she knows what's up. She's been doing it forever. It's it's a very uh, refined performance. Yeah. So who are some of the people vocally that influenced you and kind of everybody gets inspired, you know, to want to sing and scream? Um, who are the people that kind of made you want to do that? Or is there anybody now that you're really like, oh, this guy or girl is like really nailing it or right i I always have trouble with this question because i feel like i leave stuff out Mm -hmm. easily but i mean early early on it was like uh gerard way from mcr i loved the passion that he had in his voice and just how melodic and powerful 
he sounded. Ben from Breaking Benjamin was another big one for me growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. And then it sort of shifted, you know, Chester from Linkin Park and his dynamic ability and all of the dimensions of his voice, you know? Because I was really into, like, that smooth, pure, angelic belt. And then seeing all these, uh, like, Chris Cornell is another one, all of these new dimensions that that you can explore. And it's not just traditional singing. It's like, oh, there's tricks and and flips and stuff. And then that took me even further. Um, and then, of course, there's all the, the metalcore heroes that I had, like uh, Mike from The Devil Wears Prada and and Phil Bozeman from Whitechapel and uh, uh, Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath. So each each of these vocalists just exposed me to a new dimension of of singing that I really wanted to to explore. So um yeah, yeah, when it went from just me trying to expand my range uh, note to note to how could, how do I get that character and um yeah, there's just I'm I tend to get obsessive about stuff when uh there's just paths upon paths and it feels like side quests, you know, and you're never done. So um, every time Brendan Urie is another was another oh, yeah. big influence because of his amazing like just so the way he's so smooth from low to high and um, he's got like a incredibly smooth runs and movement and stuff smooth runs controlled um, precision great tone huge range theatrical as 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 all hell I I love that stuff but yeah there, I'm, there's new people inspiring me every day. Uh, that Will Ramos from from Lorna Shore has has been uh, really impressing me. He he's just giving the entire deathcore scene a run for their money with with his his screams. Um, so that's been really interesting for me to check out on a on a modern level. Yeah, he's incredibly sick. Uh, I feel like the deathcore harsh vocalists are the ones that are giving everybody the run for their money, and he's exceptional among them. You know, and it's he's he he's like clearly on another level. Um, and you see him perform in his one takes, and it you can tell he knows what the fuck he's doing. He's he's not straining and and, uh, and uh, he's he's relaxed, and that's another thing. The deathcore. They have added another dimension, which is which is the, what you do with your mouth and your tongue and your and yes. and your mouth shape. Like that all modifies the sound even more. There's so much here and here and here and and in here like that you can switch up to get different sounds. And singing is is what you make of it. So seeing that, seeing the the limits being pushed even further is inspiring and refreshing. It's super refreshing um, because it really shows you there there is like something for everybody out there, like all voice types, all colors, all ranges, like they have a spot, you know, that, that's like I try to get people to learn their vocal range and stuff, not to limit them, but to like unlimit them. So like if they want to do that belter technique, they do it where they can access it, you know, um, because in my in in teaching all these people, I found like most people, as as far as I can push them, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there's always like very exceptional athletic people, like, and that's just like an athlete, or you're always gonna have like a natural person. But for the most part, most of the people, I can only train them out to the, about the same amount of octaves. It's where their octaves start and end that make it difference. Yeah. So, you know, but if you know kind of where that is, you can kind of be unlimited. And harsh vocals are sort of unlimited. They're kind of voiceless. And, you know, I teach them to do the crazy lows as much as I can. It, but there are people like Phil Bozeman and Alex Terrible who are genetically exceptional. Like there's something about their body. I think that and this is something Melissa said once uh, when you are a, a lower range you have an easier time with uh, the false chord vocal technique uh, yeah. where it's you're getting deeper and, and low and growly. And then the fry technique is, is easier for folks with a bit, bit higher ranges because um, you're, the mechanism isn't, isn't built the same. Um, and I notice that uh, a lot of like fry, like the some of the best fryers, have like a higher speaking range and then some of the best low growlers have like a lower speaking range but you can still get those low tones with fry and and you can you still can, like yes. it doesn't really matter 
uh, where your voice is, you can still get those tones, but your approach will be different. I totally agree. A hundred percent agree with you. Um, because this is the thing I'll see when I have like, um, I've taught super high voice people to false chord, but again, when you have a super high voice, people with teeny tiny high vocal cords, you know, um, it is easier to go into like that compressed fry sound. Yeah. And it is, uh, when they do their false chord, the, the, the trachea size is smaller. So it's like they're not, uh, again, they don't quite have like the bass trap of like a larger larynx. And so there are some like physiology, just like physics of sound things at play in your height, the size of your chest cavity, and also the shape of your face. Our, our physiology like, you know, has a certain shape and, you know, we can expand. And it's so mind blowing how many different sounds you can make in one per in one human, though. I mean, yeah. You know, you're a good demonstration of that. Thanks. Yeah, I, I try to tell people or give off the impression that physiology does have a role because obviously there's a reason why everybody sounds different. Everyone has a different voice. We're not all the same. I don't want it to be something that, that feels like like shackles. Like Oh, absolutely. It limits you and you can never achieve a certain sound because it, it really is just about approach. What Whatever you are given by nature warrants a different approach that that you need to discover for a long time i i when i was younger i was like this is it there's no way i can hit these notes and this is just the way i was born but yeah i don't know i learned a lot since then and uh re realized some some key things and uh yeah technique is everything and, and that goes for vocal upkeep as well you can get all the t's in the world and all the slippery elm bark and 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 fucking whatever tricks you got but if you don't have proper technique it's not gonna matter you're gonna blow your shit out you know i always tell people it's the same as like if you don't play guitar well it doesn't really matter if i buy you a prs or like a first act guitar from walmart you know it's not going to make much of a difference if you don't have like performance technique you know you really need to know how to use the instrument to see that kind of difference like all those things you mentioned like steaming the chords and and all the physical things um they will matter more if you have really good technique if you don't have good technique they won't make a difference really it's supplementary and uh yeah i don't know there's definitely a lot of people think that there's like a magic remedy to stuff like that but there there isn't just like there's no magic one key thing that's gonna make you unlock your voice um, or for any art, for, for mixing and producing, it's the same thing. A lot of people who aren't in the industry have this idea that there's like a magic studio button that makes shit sound good. Um, but really, it's the sum of a million little moving pieces. And I feel the same way about singing. Well, you made a really good point. A lot of people that come to my lessons do think that. They think, okay, there's going to be one trick they're going to learn in one hour. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, everyone wants it to just be like an aha moment that fixes them. And they're like, oh, ever since I fucking saw Mary, it just that one thing I unlocked. Like no one wants to do the work because it sucks. And um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a involved. lot of tedious it's work. It's involved. Like, it's tedious. There's ups and downs. So, and, and the worst part is, too, like your voice just kind of does what it wants. Some days inexplicably for reasons unknown, it's not working properly um and there's a million zillion fucking things you know involving your mucous membrane and inflammation and and the humidity and the air quality and how'd you sleep last night and um that makes it even more frustrating because on any given day you don't know is my voice fucked up is my technique fucked up Am I just under the weather? Like, it's really tough. It's so many things. And it can it can literally be maddening. I saw this, like, interview with Steve Perry from a couple years ago. And he, because he, like, dipped. You know, he, he dipped out. And he was talking to the interviewer. And he was like, look, it can be, you know, all those little inconsistencies and the pressure of, like, being in this huge arena. And everybody is expecting you to do everything perfectly all the time. He's like, it kind of actually drove him mad. And, and I can understand that. <laughs> so. It really does. It, it sucks. But most of the time on tour, there's, there's not one moment where I'm not thinking about my voice. Or, like, I don't want to even speak too loud. Like, I'm like, I can't, you know, I'm not going to yell to my friend across the room because just any... Any slight micro destruction is not going to bode well for for my show later. And um, 
there's just so many unpredictable variables, variables, acid reflux, for instance, a lot of people have, I, I suffer from it too. And that can just take you out for no good reason. So I have to be careful about what I eat. We all, we have to make good choices about alcohol, caffeine, smoking, anything dehydrating. It It's a, if you want to do well and give a shit, it takes a lot of discipline. And, um, in this genre, there, there's temptation all over the place, too, that makes you want to indulge in bad things that are going to fuck your voice up. So, um, yeah. It's it, no, it's I always tell people, if you're a serious singer, it's actually no fun to be the singer. That's correct. <laughs> you, Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, well, you don't have equipment to load in and stuff and this and that. It's like, yeah, but, you know, my guitar player can yell and hoot and holler and and jump around as much as he want and drink and whatever and like his his wrist will work the same day, you know, just the same. But like yeah, even um, you got to have good cardio. Like I noticed that that on bigger stages when I'm moving around more, I'm out of I'm gassed. You know, if you don't have enough cardiovascular endurance and the, and that that air supply is not there, you you can't hold out your notes. Like there's so much. You got to be in good physical shape, too. Oh, yeah. I've learned all this stuff from mortifying experiences where I'm like, I have no control. And that is that is like one of the biggest fears is not having control of your voice and going up there knowing you're in trouble. Like, that's it's not a fun place to be in. And But that's why technique is so important, because I do feel like it alleviates a lot of that. Before technique, you are just literally at the whim of whatever your body wants to do, which is utterly terrifying. At least with technique, you have like some more control over that. But you mentioned a good point about the cardio. When I had Lauren Hart on the podcast from Once Human, who's like false courting the entire set and no screaming or I mean, no clean, like very little singing, like like and false courting is exhausting. She was talking about literally like, oh, my God. Yeah, it is. She was talking about circuit training while singing the set. That's what, uh, you know, Destiny's Child would uh, go on runs and sing like sing oh their entire God. set running like their their coach would be like all right do this one and they'd all just like singing while they run so that way they could dance and do everything and still nail it um i admittedly am uh kind of lazy about that stuff i i don't train cardio in, as much as i should and then when when we play big stages i feel it <laughs> i'm definitely like shit i can't hold that out as long because I've been working the stage. And then and then nights where we're playing at shitholes with no room to move. I'm just like, yeah, I'm fucking killing every every part. I'm not missing because I my heart rate's not not going crazy. And that's well, I I feel the same way. And then if I go and I watch some of these older guys, like the power metal dudes who have like the crazy technique of like the highs and the singing and everything, um, I'll watch like a dude, like some of these older dudes like Hansi Kirsch or Fabio Leone or something. If you watch them now, especially that they're older, they kind of just stand in place, um, you know, and a lot of people don't realize they're doing that <laughs> because they need all their energy to go with that crazy singing that they're doing, you know? Yep. And this is another, that's a good segue into something which I, I feel like should be talked about more, which is the the pressure and expectations of the audience and the lack of understanding between the fans and and the artists like it's so easy to go to a show and 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 pick apart stuff and be like oh they're not moving around as much as i want and like he didn't hit that note or sound he didn't sound that good or, or you know hearing a a dry from the board mix on youtube and then judging the hell out of a singer like there's so many things I wish people could understand as to why stuff sounds like that or why we might have to take it easy and just uh, like cut us a little more slack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because then what happens is all that pressure and expectation in those online comments, it, it, gets in, it gets in your head, it gets in the vocalist's head, and then they push themselves too fucking hard and they hurt themselves because they don't want to let anybody down. And, and yeah, it's... It's scary. It's a lot of pressure. People just don't realize how much goes into it and that we're human. And a lot of younger singers and musicians will go to one show and see their favorite vocalist and be like, he kind of sucked. Like, I think I can do better than that. But it's like, 
Uh, could you though on on a you know a month of of touring with only a couple days off and and running around constantly and getting no sleep? Like people can be very very judgmental of vocalists, great vocalists who who might just have a bad night. You know, it's it's tough. Who have years of practice and training and knowledge. You know what I mean? It's like some of the greatest ones. You know, the Chris Cornells and the Chesters. Like they they have bad nights too because they're human beings. You know. Um, and uh, I had someone on the podcast, the singer Adrian Cowan. Uh, she's like a younger singer, um, but, but she's got pretty good like YouTube following and stuff. And she was um, making a really good point that she puts up all these like, you know, um, really raw, like just practice cam type stuff. And she's like, you know, that's just what people sing like. Mm-hmm. People don't sing like this auto tuned, mm-hmm. you know. And I noticed you, you've you done a lot of really, you've had a lot of success in recent years doing some awesome like live performances on Twitch. Are you kind of gravitated to Twitch now yeah. and off of YouTube? And how do you feel about that, doing those things where you're not like pre-recording it? And Yeah, yeah. That, I love that question. Thanks for asking. Well, first of all, YouTube just doesn't uh, pay anymore. So it's very, very, very difficult to spend a lot of time trying to make monetized content that's going to make pennies. And... Things have shifted a lot since I started. I was definitely relying a lot more on editing and tuning and and tools when I was coming up. And that was my way to push myself to be better. I, it's not that I was always trying to like... I'm a perfectionist, first of all. So so my I was very harsh on my imperfections. And so I was always trying to sterilize and iron them out. But I didn't want to become like, I don't want to say a fraud, but but just have this huge disconnect between what I sound like on the internet and then what I sound like live. So the Twitch stuff has been liberating. Like I've I've been able to shamelessly show people, you know, this is what I sound like. And also I do a lot of uh, live tracking and editing sessions on Twitch where I show people this is the process. Here are my raw, untouched vocals and let me go through, you know, we all do this, these micro pitch adjustments, this yes. and that. And it helps create, a, you know, a culture of, of understanding and people like, oh, wow, I didn't know so much went into this. And, um, you know, I do take pride in my live performance. So I still think that I do a pretty good job uh, performing live and, and on the Twitch stuff and everything, um, giving people a taste of what I really sound like in a, in a full in-sequence song. It was always a goal of mine to to get to that point where I felt comfortable and I don't need to just put out lip synced content. You know, I, I, I want to show everyone who I actually am and be shameless about it and everything from here's my raw takes to here's what I did to them. I'm showing you my tuning. I'm showing you my time edits. And then here's what I here's how I pull it off live, like the art of pulling it off and um, doing different, less spendy things and uh, everything in between. So I love that Twitch lets me show that to people who don't uh, work in the music industry. It cultivates a deeper appreciation and uh, understanding of the whole process, I think. I think that's really, really inspiring, especially because one of the biggest things I feel like is people are sitting here because, uh, you know, my full time job is coaching people. So I, if, every time I get a new person, a lot of people are just terrified. They're just like paralyzed because, you know, they see, OK, someone like, as good as yourself is still getting the flack from people on YouTube. And it's just like terrifying to new people. Like when I was young, no one could like comment on your stuff. You know, now everything you do can literally be commented on by any random ass motherfucker you know like any person you know and uh i think like what you're saying about cultivating and understanding and being more transparent i think it's changing that a lot and i think that's really inspiring that you're doing that because it's sort of a relief to like new musicians who are like going to this like terrifying intimidating online world you know exactly i want to show people where it starts um because when i was a kid I would have loved to have that. It would have made me feel a lot more comfortable because I would just go from trying to sing and, and listening to my own recordings and I'm like, God, I fucking suck. And then I'd hear like the Devil Wears Prada, like perfectly tuned Joey Sturge's yeah. production, like angelic high singing. I'd be like, I suck. I'm never going to. But but they don't what we didn't didn't realize is there's a that is going through lots of processing and 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 there was many, many, many takes and. It wasn't all at once, and, uh, you know, it's sort of a double-edged thing with... We create these impossible standards because we always 
want to push things farther and farther and farther. Um, but as a result, we create this expectation that if you don't sound like that, you're a shitty singer. So I've seen some great live performances, in my opinion, that people shit on. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but he's hitting every note. He sounds great. Like, yeah, this is this is how a real vocalist sounds live and raw. And people are just like, oh, he must have been sick that day, you know, or really tired. Or I'm like, that's just before processing, baby. Like, this is what a real vocalist sounds like. And then you take something like that on YouTube and compare it to actually being there in the room where our ears have this natural compression and there's an element of this loudness, the the room sound, the echo, the the being there that it automatically irons out a lot of the flaws before they hit yes, your ears. Yes, it does. Like being yes. there live, you can hear a stellar vocal performance, for instance, and it all sounds great. And then you can go listen to that same mix from the board and be like, oh, wow, what the... This does not... Yeah, and people are so unforgiving. That's another level of understanding I wish people had is that some motherfuckers just be posting the rawest, unflattering board mixes that make us not look the best when if you're at that show it sounded great you know i i've literally seen for instance videos of of soundguard or of uh, audio slave chris crushing it hitting every note just and you can hear the whole room sound the ambience you know it's, it's amazing and then and then you can see another video from the same performance from a straight from the board raw thing and everyone's like oh what the fuck like he sounds terrible and it's it's not meant to be heard yeah. that way. That's not, you're not there. You're not in the room. It's it's just a whole different world. You make a great point. Like I've lived that experience um, like fairly recently, <laughs> you know, where I really felt like all the cell phone videos from the festival and the venue, like I sounded great. But then the board feed on the live stream, it was so dry and raw that I was like, oh, like I just hate this. It hurts. It hurts. It's so unflattering it is so god it's like we have to we have to be remember that too like like i use that chris cornell stuff as a good example because he's one of the greatest of all time and if you listen to that board mix it's like you know it doesn't sound too great but that's because it wasn't meant to be heard that way and i don't know you're really stripping away so many of the of the elements that make it what it was intended for a live rock just organic thing um, and you reduce it to this digital, multi-tracked snapshot. It's not even the same thing. It's no, it's not. You know, it's it's totally different. Um, I mean, even at some of the what people forget is like if you go back in time, like you go like to some of the stuff. It's really shocking to me how like 25, 30 year old stuff is super popular on YouTube because like. It's just a different time, you know, but like I think Alice in Chains is a great example. Everybody's always talks about the acoustic, um, you know, the unplugged, the MTV unplugged. It's a, a reaction all over YouTube. Best performances ever. But a lot of people don't realize they did many, many takes of those songs right there live in front of the audience. And there are small imperfections in their Loads. vocals yes, in there. Absolutely. You know? But yet it's a legendary performance. It's like you don't focus on those because like the character of the performance is so strong. I mean, there's tiny imperfections. A lot of it, like you'd need to be a trained musician to notice, but you know. But what we've done, and and I'm I'm guilty of this too, because I practice these I use these tools all the time. But what we've done with modern recording is created, like I said before, an impossible standard that people get used to and come up just thinking that's how good singers sound and really what we're trying to do with these uh with these tools is it's really hard for me to explain but like when you're at a show you get that full experience where everything sounds fucking great and they're crushing it and that's a moment that's just a memory it's and then it's gone with with recordings you get to scrutinize it over and over and over and over again until the imperfections are like that's all you're really going to be focusing on so so we try to sterilize and normalize this performance so that way uh it sounds the way we think it does when we hear it live does that make sense yes oh yes yeah it makes it makes total sense Uh, like it's not like we're trying to lie you know obviously there's varying degrees of it there's there's hard tuning and that's fine too i don't give a shit for the record what what people do i'm not an elitist with you know, oh yeah, like studio magic. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
it's just a stylistic thing and it's it's part of meeting the standard and uh you know um there is no plug-in for personality charisma and character okay you can you can't teach that so so you can have a cool voice and then use some tools to enhance that performance but you know at the end of the day if you don't have a cool voice if you're not a talented vocalist in some way it doesn't matter how much autotune you put on it you know just just because someone is using these tools doesn't mean that they're a bad vocalist they don't the tools don't even work um i've had people like i i actually tune a lot of my own vocals because mm -hmm, i got too. so pissed i get you know you know how it is you get like so mad when it's like because again, I'm trying to keep the notes that are already in tune where they're at. And like, and even then, it's like only a few cents here or there. If you take, people have sent me vocals that were like wildly out of tune and the person was not a very good vocalist and I couldn't do anything with it. Like I, I tuned it. Yeah. If you do, it's, it doesn't, I mean, either you're like unable to because the notes won't track or it just sounds so far away from human uh, because the, the root wasn't close to the pitch and uh you know that's the other thing editing your own voice is it's fucked up it's difficult because it's so maddening because we don't know how much at least for me I'm, I'm a perfectionist i don't know how much of that imperfection to leave in and sometimes i, I can tend to overdo it because i'm so self-critical whereas if someone else sent me their vocal i i might not hit it as hard because i'm like oh that sounds good that's how that's how that dude sounds so to my chagrin, I've I've edited a lot of my own vocals, but I don't like to do that. I'm I'm totally with you. I only do it out of necessity because I'll find a lot of times like like someone mixing the song might not actually know how the the melody goes. So they'll put the tuning on there, but they'll actually tune it to a note, change the note that change I did notes. not sing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That this is exactly yeah. what happened. Um for the the latest Monuments album, I was like, hey guys, I don't really want to have to edit and tune all my own vocals. Let's find a dude. So we did. And he like, he completely changed like every harmony. And w it was just not what I, what I was intended at all. So I was like, got to do it yourself out of necessity. And I did it. Did it the whole thing. I'm very happy with it. And I think I've also gotten better at giving myself a break. And not over sterilizing it, but that took time. You watch some of my older videos. Oh God, like I, the editing—it's cringe. You know, I really overdid it back in the day. Well, obviously though, people really, really enjoyed it because you really took off on YouTube, and I don't know that 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 many people. I mean, you and I, like, we live in that. We notice that. But the good thing about the audience is, is like, they might not notice that if we feel like it's overly perfect. You know. Um, I do find solace <laughs> knowing not everyone's a musician and that there are some things they don't notice, you know. And you got to start somewhere. You can't expect your first hundred pieces of content to be perfect because you got to you got to do, do you just got to do it and grow. So it, everyone has cringy. They look back and they're like, Ugh, but you would never get to this point without doing that stuff. And And at the time, people loved it. So. Exactly. And I call it um, finished, not perfect. Yes. This is the That's problem good. with vocals. Finished, not perfect, right? <laughs> like, because you, like you keep saying, every album you learn, like there's an album I put out on Century Media like 100 million years ago. And people still talk to me about it these days. And I couldn't fry scream. I could only false chord scream. I could only belt to maybe like A4, you know, and people still like it, right? But I can do like 300 times more things now, you know? But you can't like fast forward that learning process into that album 10 years ago. You know, you have to start where you're at. Like, that's just it. Yeah. And not only that, but there's a charm to inexperience sometimes. I mean, look at Chino from Deftones. His whole thing came from not knowing what he was doing. And he leaned into that and made it his fucking style. And now he's pioneered an entire genre of singing and, and, that just came from going for it. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not the most classical or technical professional. But yeah, if you just go for it and be yourself, um, you build off of that. It's like everyone's talent is its own marble block to chisel. And you eventually make it to whatever statue is 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 who you are. But um, yeah, you can't just automatically be that statue. You You have to go through the 
the grinding and the grindstone. You know what I mean? And the, the the only way out is through. I always tell my vocal students, like they'll be like, "Oh, should I join this band or should I wait till everything's perfect?" I'm like, "Join the effing band. Just do it. Just do it." That's how all the all of our heroes jumped in before that they thought they were ready. You just you have to. I'm I'm scared of everything. I always have been. Like singing and performing was a way to own my my fear. All my first shows, I'm shaking and terrified, and I just made myself do it because. That's the only way to get comfortable. You you have to be mortified. You know, it's okay to be scared. Do it anyway. Do it scared. That's what I always say. You said exactly what I say. Feel the fear, but do it anyway. Eh, yes. Wow. Very, very cool. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. I think I think we both have come to similar conclusions in, in different ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's been so awesome having you on. You're so amazing. What's next for you? What, sh- what do you have coming up? What's like on your plans, on the docket? What are you doing next? I have uh, some festivals coming up with monuments. I'll be uh, at Hellfest in France, and then I'm going to Infest in Italy. Uh, and then I've got Makari's working on a new record right now, a few songs coming out. Um, Termina's doing the same. And uh, then more t- more touring with, with Monuments. So I'll, I'll be doing Europe and the USA and probably another country before the year's over. So just keep an eye out on Monuments and Makar, Andy Socials, whatever. Yeah, and where can people, where should they follow you if they want to keep up? Please just uh, head to Instagram because that's where my link tree is and you can check out all that stuff. Um, I would love for whoever's listening to check me out on Twitch. Um, where we can interact and chat and and we do lots of educational stuff and live stuff and whatever just a uh, fun user-friendly shit so twitch.tv slash andy sizzik or wherever you know wherever wherever you're all over and, and what's cool is you have a nice naturally seo like sizzik's not a common name so <laughs> thank you yeah i always hated it because it's hard to pronounce but I've i've grown to like it as I've gotten older, I did luck out. Thank God I didn't. I didn't go with Andrew Scott, which is <laughs> my middle name. And oh my God, that would have been really hard to <laughs> find. When I was young, I was into Never Shout Never. Christopher Drew. I was like, I need to do that. Sizzik is not marketable at all. And then I said, Fuck it. <laughs> embraced it no it's actually really good because it's got really good seo you know so thanks oh thank you so much i've always been a little bit insecure about my name so i appreciate that no i think if it's really unique that's so like i'm just thinking like content creator i'm like that's a great name for seo (laughs) but thank you andy it's been such a pleasure having you you're so knowledgeable and honest and insightful and i think it's gonna be a really inspiring episode thank you so much oh likewise you inspire me too and and it's a dream come true to be here and uh, I'd love to chat again or anytime thank you that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show 